Welcome to this BGSM podcast. I'm Stefan Griffin, a medical student at the University of Birmingham and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today we'll continue with the podcast with Colin Lewin and Gary O'Driscoll, who work with Arsenal FC, and we'll continue speaking about player screening and player medicals. At a club like Arsenal, I imagine you're approached fairly often by new companies professing to have you know, the cure to all injuries, this, that and the other. Um, I guess you it must be quite a difficult task to balance you know, what they're offering versus the evidence base. But obviously, you, in a professional environment, you'll always be looking for those you know, the famous marginal gains. How do you sort of assess the, the offers that come in or the, or the new sort of, the new magic bullet, essentially? That's a great question because it's something we do get hit with again and again. If I would say on average, we get sent between 50 and 80 new products machines, ideas, every year. Now, while we don't want to discard every single one of them because there may be some gold in there, we also don't have the time to sit and analyse, properly assess all 50, 80 of them. Our research and development consultant uh, is Alan McCall, who has been working with us now for 18 months, nearly two years, and he has a graded recommendation table. We send him the technology, the product, the idea, and he'll take it through a very thorough process of evidence, what's out there, what could be anecdotal, and he'll put it into a very common sense, evidence-based, with some common sense around it, table to give us an idea of whether we think something is very worthwhile, not at all worthwhile. And again, that gives us something to grade it against. There are some things we get sent we think, yes, it's worth a try straight away. There are some things that you can clearly discard straight away. But the bulk of them are grey area, which Alan McCall has helped us out with. I think in, in many ways it reflects a lot of the practice that you have to be able to be comfortable with within sports medicine. Very, very few decisions are black and white. Return to play. When is a player back for full, ready to, to take part in a full match? When is he ready to take place in a full training session? Is that hamstring fully strong again? It very often comes down to the fact that we are left with a new product, a new test, a new recovery uh, strategy, and we have to take a decision based on the evidence, based on what we feel is uh, appropriate, based on our current players, and based on our management. Jobs, we probably wouldn't have jobs if it was easy as, yes, there you go, no, no you don't. It's a very, very complex process, but the last two years have been made a lot easier by having someone like Alan, because it takes away just our anecdotal point of view, we can add some science behind it, and then we avoid the situation where we look foolish a couple of years later after putting in a potentially new uh, scientific test which has no validity and we end up looking silly 10, 10 12 months down the line. Okay, and having an R and sort of R and D input, which is obviously huge across most of the injury, uh, most of the sort of industries, um, but may not be sort of as rife in sports medicine. And I know you, um, you know, Alan and yourselves are involved in research within sort of a professional setting. How have you managed to juggle that with it? Because I know your jobs are, you know, they're highly pressurised jobs. You've got a lot of demands on you. How, how have you sort of balanced that? Well, I think. Um in the seven years that I've been here, we have seen a significant increase in the number of staff that we've got. So we are able to screen now. We are able to put, collect data. Our GPS and the metrics that we collect are unrecognisable from even four or five years ago. So we do have the 
information there. What we have got now is your research and development to know exactly what to do with it. Um, with respect to, to Carl and certainly I didn't know exactly what to do with it before. When we say about this screening tests and the um, battery of examinations and tests that we do with each players, at least we can turn around and justify what we've done them and say that we have tested them rigorously. That's what the research and development department has done for us. So we can sit there after a year and say, that's not proved any benefit. That has not picked up an injury. That has not prevented an injury. That has not detected fatigue. Um, or vice versa. Listen, this, this has got something in it. So the research and development side has, has taken a lot of the pressure off Colin and of, of myself to turn around and say, there's scientific value in what you're doing. Um, but again, the, there is a huge amount of time that takes into that and the number of staff that we've had to bring on and board um, certainly reflects that as well. I think two things to say there are, we don't want to be collecting data all the time. And we're not going to use it, let's not bother collecting it. So we've been very good year on year, I say we, Alan has been very good year on year, highlighting, as Gary says, the areas that were near on useless. So why keep doing it? Why keep collecting that data? So a lot of the time we've pushed stuff to one side. Um, other times we've developed something and grown a certain area and investigated a certain area, dug a bit deeper to see what it really meant. But how is it working? I would say down to Alan, driving us, pushing us, emailing us, calling us, and uh, getting it off the ground. Certainly in the first few months to get it off the ground and establish the meetings and pushing us to do a bit more in the research world, which was not something that we've done naturally beforehand really and there was a there's been a sea change really in the players uh, when we first started then there was a huge reluctance and uh, anger coming in in the morning and having to arrive a little bit earlier but what we find now is that over a period of time not only is it part of their routine but they start they start to see the potential benefits of it which does make things a lot easier um, if you haven't got a cohort of people who are going to buy into it, you might as well forget it. And initially it was tricky, but again with Alan's advice and guiding the players the right way, they're starting to see the benefits, so it becomes much easier as we go along. Okay, and I, and I think you've, the players are obviously a, sort of a, a key population in terms of when you're doing these screening tests. In terms of the staff, how have you, for anyone who's looking to perform some form of research in you know, elite sports or anything, what advice would you have in terms of speaking to, to senior staff members to make sure that they're on site as well? Because I imagine that would be quite some barrier if they weren't or didn't have the buy-in. Yeah, I think so. I think the first thing is to get all the medical team on board so everyone is believing in it. That was tricky initially, including me. Um, but once we've got everyone on board and saying this is what we're going to do, I think the next step is to get the players' compliance. So once medical team and players are all on board, after that it's selling the the product, selling the results to the key decision makers, who are generally the coaches and educating everyone else, S&C coaches, and doing your best to make sure everyone is believing in it and acting on it. We're not in the process or not in the business of getting people out of training every day, that'd be ridiculous. But just to educate people and to make people aware of certain things that might allow a certain level of individuality in those next 24, 48 hours is important. Again, we're not claiming that we've solved the problem. Of course we haven't. And as Gary says, in two years' time, there'll be something slightly different about what we're doing. But if you can get everyone on board, players first. After that, sell the results. 
to the coaches and the key decision makers and hope that what you're telling them is right. <laughs> we've, ne we've never sold it as a, as a means of telling our coaches or manager that an individual can't train. It's never been the, there's never been the drive for us, but what it's been is to say, listen, this is something that we've detected. This may not uh, may not be a hundred percent. I think Colin tells a great story about when this first happened, maybe five ten years ago. The manager walks in and tells me, "Is so and so recovered?" Well, I'm not sure. You know, we we had nothing scientific to back it up, and now we're in a position where, alongside a player's own perception and feelings we have some evidence that we're able to say compared to his baseline compared to his normative results we're not too sure that he has recovered but it's starting on a, on a process that will get better and better every year okay um in terms of um sort of the, the pressures of working within your just just as a sort of, with your both your vast experience for people who are sort of get, coming up through Sort of sports medicine, sports physio world. What advice would you have for for those who are looking to work in you know high pressure elite elite sports environments? Um, I, I think from my point of view is that um, you have to be prepared to make difficult decisions without knowing exactly what the answer is. The manager is always going to put you in a difficult situation by saying, "Is a player ready? Is he available for selection? Can he go?" If you think you're going to come into a world where it's very straightforward and you've got a, a test that will give you the right answer, you're not going to have that. We work in a world of risk and reward. We do have to be prepared to take risks, but we've got to know that the potential reward is not going to make that player much worse, is not going to affect the team, and is not going to undermine you as a professional. So if you're looking for a job where it's nice and straightforward and easy to make decisions, I'm afraid that's not, that's not the, the, the world that you want to come into. But if you're prepared to get to know your players, get to know the manager and to feel comfortable with the level of pros and cons on returning to play, on allowing a player to go and take specific exercises, on to progress to the next level, making a signing, all of these come with the opportunity to make mistakes. The way to avoid those is to make sure that you have a good relationship with everybody in the medical team, a good relationship with the player and a good relationship with the coach. Goodness knows I've made enough mistakes. You'll always make mistakes. What you hope to do is to make sure you don't make them again. You learn from each mistake, you get a little bit better. But the number of times that Colin and I will say, Colin and I will say to each other in a season, God, I've not seen that injury before. Yeah, that's... It seems to be something that we say even more frequently every year. But what you hope to do is to make sure that the next time it happens, you react and make better decisions. If you want to come into a job where it's nice and straightforward each time and you work from a spreadsheet and it's dead straightforward, that this isn't the one for you. But if you want to learn all the time and develop to the next level, you have to be prepared that you're going to make the odd mistake. The majority of times you'll get it right and you'll always learn from each mistake. And I think that's the answer to your question. Yeah, be prepared to learn, I mean, what is experience really? It's just probably number of mistakes you've made. Mm. Um, and we've got plenty of experience here, yes. having made some mistakes, but I think, yeah, advice to people coming through, it's difficult, I think Gary summed it up completely, but don't think it's all gonna be simple. You are gonna make mistakes again and again, but it's not to make them two and three times. So, Gary, okay, we've spoken about the topic and we've mentioned a few speakers. Can you just go tell us a bit more in depth about some of the topics and some of the other speakers that you've got at the event? 
Um, so once we discussed um, and decided upon a topic, and this year we decided on screening, um, again with uh, Colin's uh, contacts and mine and Alan again, we searched the world really for some of the best speakers on the topic. And to have uh, as a headline Professor Roel Barr, that's a... Um, that's a, a great draw for us, and especially when he um, has uh, espoused some fairly controversial opinions on this. But again, that's very much the point of the day, is to have as many opinions that we can pick up on the day and people can discuss. So as well as Professor Barr, we also have one of the, the top surgeons in, in Europe, uh, Professor Faraz Hudad, who, as many people will know, specialises in the hip and the knee area and is going to talk specifically about the pelvis and hamstring avulsions. Um, and evolutions around the um, hip and pelvis itself. Um, and then we also lucky enough to have another professor, um, Sanjay Sharma, one of the top, top cardiologists in the country, uh, who will give us some more information and insight into the highly emotive and critical area of cardiac screening, not just in the elite athlete, but also in the younger child and the younger um, footballer or any sportsman. Um, so as well as, as those three names, we also have um, some inputs from physiotherapy to have um, Adam Meekins this year, who is a prolific social media user and highly experienced physiotherapy uh, practitioner with uh, many controversial views and to hear his side of screaming will be fascinating. We have uh, Andrea Mosler, who is a fantastic researcher and has some great insight into screening specifically for groin injuries. Um, we also have this year um, another very hot topic in and around the area of concussion with Mickey Collins coming over from the US to give us his insight into screening, detecting and returning to play of concussion. Um, and it's obviously an area that we're uh, again that is not black and white and we all need to learn and try and pick up where we can um, and we also have uh, our own Des Ryan who is going to give us some insight into the screening of the young academy athlete so we really believe that we've got an excellent faculty once again a faculty that will provoke discussion that will not sit on the fence will give good insight into their specific opinions and hopefully um, stimulate discussion not just on the day but afterwards as well Okay, and we'll put the, all the details to how to how to book on and the links to the programmes on BGSM social media in the description of this podcast as well. Um, I think a good way to sort of come full circle with the podcast now is the, the medicals we've spoken about, have, we've heard about the, the process and things. You've, you, you've mentioned before that it, sometimes it, it, it doesn't all go to plan. Can you, can you tell us a little bit maybe about the pressure involved with, with, with the with the medical process and what happens if sometimes you don't, you don't deem a player is, you know, is able to pass that? Um, there's a couple of questions there. I think if we go with the pass versus fail, uh, I think that is the perception, certainly publicly, maybe not in the sports medicine world, but publicly there's this perception that a player goes for a medical and it's, yes he can sign for us, no he can't. Again, like most things, it's not always as black and white as that. We will take the player through all the tests, do everything we've spoken about already, and we will then make a basically a graded recommendation to the people in power, our CEO, our head of player contracts, our team manager, obviously, um, and give them some idea about our thoughts on the player. We don't just go red light, green light. Anything to add to that? No, I think, again, it comes back to so many of these things. There are uh, 
um, multiple ways of interpreting data, of using information, and as a direct result of that, we give our uh, senior management a guide. We've, you read about passing and failing a medical, as Colin says, that just doesn't happen. We will give them an indication as to what we have picked up on the um, uh, medical and what we've picked up on the history and the examination, the results of our tests. We'll be able to turn around to them and say, this is a potentially pristine player, right down to something, we're taking a huge risk here. But that's the way that it works, not just yes or no. I think we've often used the phrase, yes, we can sign him, but... Yeah. Or occasionally, very occasionally, no, we shouldn't sign him, but... Yeah. And so, like everything, it's a conversation. Yeah. Okay. The important people are involved. As Gary said already, it's a very stressful day for player. You can imagine what the agents must go through, the families of the player, um, especially the ones that turn up with any element of doubt. Obviously, the vast majority turn up fully expecting to pass the medical, quite rightly. But every now and then it's not always as easy as that. Which takes you on to the next part of your question, the difficult days. Um, again, other physios and doctors who work at football clubs listening to this will probably resonate with what we're going to say around when not just one turns up. You might get a call the night before and you're doing two, three. There was a day we did four um, a good few years ago now, but we did four on the same day. So you can imagine the logistics around that with all the agents, player, people wanting to know yes, no, forget about the lawyers writing up the contracts, uh, scan slots, cardiac slots. It was a, a tricky day, which flew by in no time, of course, but there were some big decisions to make that day. Yeah, and several people not speaking English and trying to get everything done by 11 o'clock and it was uh, very, very difficult at the time. One of those four players had a significant injury. Yeah. One of those four players was joining us with a significant injury history from another English club. So, the yeah, the phone battery ran out very quickly that day. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, well, thanks ever so much for that amazing insight into sort of your, your working lives um, and into your, sort of your experiences working in football and working across various sports. Um, I think a lot of people have gained some clinical pills, but I think also just a bit of motivation for people wanting to progress to the, sort of the level that you guys are working. Um, and I'm sure there'd be you know, people being able to apply some of the things that you guys have spoken about you know, tomorrow or sort of into the future. Um, so thanks ever so much for coming, coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. Uh, you've been listening to BGSM Podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening and hope you tune in again soon. As always, please just get in touch with us via the normal social media channels if you have any suggestions for future podcasts. Have a great day.